Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, ein Leben ohne Currywurst ist möglich, aber sinnlos. I'm Nick Out on 40%German.com and I'm joined by my co-host Simon Maddox. How are you, Simon? I am doing really well. Uh, yeah, I'm now feeling a little bit more hungry than I was 20 seconds ago, <laughs> and I got a hankering for a currywurst. How are you, mate? Everything all right? I'm, I'm not hungry at all. You know, it was my birthday yesterday, so I, I've ordered an extremely excessive burger from some random here's something i didn't know do you know how like hairdressers have like a random day in the week when they're off so did german takeaways so there was no takeaways open on mm-hmm. monday very normal for the monday to be the rural type for takeaways well yeah. i mean just shows how little food i'm ordering takeaway I got, <laughs> I, got, I got told off on twitter i love getting told off on twitter no one should have their own opinions but um and certainly not share them on a social media platform but one of the things is that I said was how come you can order every kind of food except schnitzel and braten and someone went well schnitzel's just really easy to make it's just eggs breadcrumbs and, and and some other like ingredients but you could do that with like lamb rogue and josh is just some spices and yeah. some lamb <laughs> you know? i could do it it's like that's not what i was saying like can't we just have nice things but so i ended up getting like a really dirty dirty burger from some dirty takeaway and it was it was so good but it also meant that I pretty much didn't need to eat for the majority of today. (laughs) (laughs) And and what what special toppings does this burger feature? Well, I was very specific about what I wanted. I wanted (laughs) bacon double cheeseburger. Mm -hmm. And I kind of... I kind of got that. Of course, the bacon's going to be a bit of a bit of a stressy one for them, so I just had bacon bits. That's not that's not the same. No, wasn't what I was looking for. But you know, beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> On your birthday, uh, <laughs> beggar. No, I've just, I've just exci- accepted. You're never going to get what you want. Uh, <laughs> So you just sort of muddle on by with something that's a variant of what you were hoping to mm. get. Yeah, I mean, it was fine. German takeaways are never really any great shakes in my mind. So if, if as long as it's edible and you don't get food poisoned afterwards, those are my, basically my stance. Got very low standards. That really is. That's, that's the lowest bar possible, I guess, in a developed nation. It's, it's pretty demoralizing. Yeah, I, I've learned this Monday the hard way. Monday's normally the day where I don't want to cook. Like, I do all the cooking at home and I very much enjoy it but Monday yeah it's normally down I was like I can't be asked let's just get a takeaway and then open up Leafa Rando which is the app we have to use around here and there's like four pizza places open and a huge number of places that are open but have a delivery fee like in excess of 50 euros or a minimum order of 25 and to get 25 euros worth of food is actually quite tricky unless you're ordering for like four people struggle i've managed to get a 20 a 25 euro order just for me you're a braver man <laughs> than i am that's that's real that's impressive work i'm a monster <laughs> i shouldn't be allowed out of the house it seems like a lot of places really don't want to be takeaways that what they want to be is something else <laughs> they're aspiring to be a different type of restaurant it's one of those things you learn that what i was saying to my brother-in-law yesterday he, he said that does it feel like you're living in your own house does it feel like home now or does it feel like you're still on holiday and i was like to be honest with you mate like it my life feels like i'm on holiday i live in a different country I'm still constantly mm. amazed by something, something really small, whether it's something I've found in the shop or some sort of thing that I've seen. It, it always feels a bit like I'm on holiday. So I, I, I try and be optimistic and positive. It's much easier to be positive about these things when you're not totally wrecked by doing DIY. Like my, my, yeah. I've, I've become significantly more positive about my life after <laughs> after the last month. Yeah, every cloud, I guess. Yeah, the hardships of DIY make you enjoy the fact that you 
don't do that for a living. <laughs> yeah, that's a positive, I guess. Yeah, I'm not built for that. Although I look like I'm built for that, I'm really not built for that. <laughs> but yeah, well, I definitely empathise with the ho- the holiday vibe. It can feel mm-hmm. uh, like we're a long way from home. And today, I actually got a wonderful little delivery uh, of loads of British products uh, or food. So I've now got a couple of tins of birds custard uh, in my kitchen. I've got some peri peri sauce from Nando's. I know you were waving um, that on WhatsApp before. I was like, "What's he doing yeah. with with peri peri sauce?" It's it's a nice flavour. I've been craving it for about six months, uh, and whenever I've seen it priced, it was always extortion. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I sought for a price I could live with. Uh, and yeah, I've got a load of tea. I don't need to have a tea panic for the next probably four months until I have to worry about that again. I have like a midway tea panic where the box is half full. There's still like 200 tea bags where I'm like, it's coming close to that point mm-hmm. where I need to order more tea. Well, I mean, especially, I mean, yeah, we don't really like to talk about Brexit a huge amount, but these days it is a challenge. Like the, the place I normally order from where I get a bag of 480 or 1,080, both of which are beautiful numbers for the mm. amount of tea in a bag, they are uh, shipping from the UK. They don't declare that particularly clearly in the Amazon.de description of the company. It's only when you get to the comments that you realise that people have been stung for 20 euros for the tax on that. And that's, that's a lot of a lot of tax on tea. And if a tea tax has taught us anything... <laughs> it doesn't it go be, well. It's like the history. It can be yeah. quite dangerous with the, uh, with the locals. <laughs> people don't like tea taxes, especially the Americans, you know. Don't tax their tea. <laughs> Like this is what people wanted. Like people wanted this, so this is what we're getting. So you see sort of pictures of shops with like no food on the shelves, and there's a lot of talk about issues around delivery drivers and blah 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 blah. And I'm like, well, that's what they wanted. That everyone said that this is what they knew what they were voting for. There was definitely no no one voting who had absolutely no idea why or what they were voting for. But mm. so I kind of feel like, well, this is this is this is what you wanted have at it enjoy it's kind of the same feeling i have after the i'll have after the election in germany it's like when inevitably it goes to shit because we voted for the wrong people <laughs> so what we that's what we wanted remember we wanted these things you wanted armin Laschet to be in charge come on yes i know he's <laughs> fucking it up but it's what we what we all wanted isn't it it's what the majority wanted again we have to look for the silver linings on this and i'm going to see that there's going to be a way for us to make massive profits importing food into the UK over Christmas. It's like smuggling back <laughs> tins of Heinz baked beans. I don't want to become a modern smuggler. I want to become like a. Um, jump. Do you ever have to read that book Moonfleet in in uh, in school? No, I, can't say I, know that like, I think I think maybe it was a comprehensive thing, but like um, I, I think I ended up reading it twice because they read it in my school in England, and then we moved to Scotland, and they were reading it there too. So, but it's basically about smuggling in uh i think it's in cornwall or it might be norfolk i can't really remember they're all like knocking about with tricorn hats and rowing boats and stuff and that's what kind of smugglers we should be i think the police would catch us and be like hang on what are you smuggling rum in <laughs> barrels we've got barrels of rum don't worry lads it's just reenactment <laughs> nothing to see here I know. <laughs> just historically accurate reenaction <laughs> like no one no one expects rum to be delivered in a rowing boat nowadays so like you probably catch them off guard they'd be like oh like that can't be real well, i don't think i fancy my chances in the north sea in a rowing boat so i'll, I'll leave that with you and your viking <laughs> genetics oh next week it's like oh that's a terribly terribly sad to say nick died in a rowing boat accident on the North Sea <laughs> smuggling rum to the British on a lake in Germany as proof of concept hey, the wind kicked up a bit if, if I do that I'll not be going to Valhalla I'm sure my Viking ancestors would be very disappointed if I 
I cocked it in a rowing boat on a, a lake. What do you mean? There wasn't even a tide. I mean, you got engaged in a boat on a lake, so I guess there's a, there's a nice little cycle. Yeah. <laughs> all these significant moments yeah. happening in rowing boats. <laughs> yeah, I was, all I can remember is being petrified and dropped the ring in the lake. I wasn't going in after it. <laughs> it's episode 38, baby, and September is upon us. Summer seems to have done one as hard as that might be to accept and it's time to pull out your autumn jack wolfskins and get ready for a good old-fashioned spaziergang if you're going to head out for a rambling expedition what fuel are you going to rely on for it nick what's the best german fuel food there's a couple of questions i've got to throw back at you because it depends when you're starting because if you start a breakfast like a solid frustuck get some eggs in there maybe uh maybe some fresh bread rolls <laughs> jam bit of butter that's that's the way forward bit of butter bit, bit of butter <laughs> the next question i have is are you going up a mountain because if you're going up a mountain you need something that's really going to sustain you so if it's if it's extraneous and the next one would be where is the next fit shaft so like if you know where the next place is <laughs> then you can sort of hang out hang on and you just go and get go and get like a a nice schäufele or obviously a schnitzel but i feel like i talk about schnitzel far more than i really need to but that's what i would choose if it was going to choose anything but yeah what about you when i'm tired whether it be from a solid ramble or the hardships of life there is one german comfort food that always springs like to the top of my mind it's what i crave more often than not to feel better to feel like eased and it's it's the noble currywurst now we here at decades from home have ranted and raved <laughs> at great length about the excellence of the kebab and of kebab culture here in Germany. It is, and they are, amazing, and they deserve all the adulation we give them. Let's not let's not mess around here. As phenomenal as they indeed are, if you offer me the choice between a delicious kebab and a currywurst with pommes, I think I'll be hard-pressed to turn my nose up at the currywurst. Are you a currywurst fan? Are you with me? Or you, I mean, you look pretty disappointed. <laughs> I really do want to know my opinion about currywurst. I feel like... It might be a bit controversial. That's, that's kind of how this works, isn't it? I say something quite innocent and kind, and then you come in and like deride it. So yeah, let me know what's up. You called Goethe a soppy twat last week. You have no idea how much shit I got off my wife, who is an English teacher. She was just like, no, you got that wrong, you got that wrong. <laughs> I mean, she's right, of course you are, darling, you're always right. Anyway, I mean, hopefully she doesn't have any strong opinions about Curryverse. I don't actually, I don't really have any massively strong opinions, but I sometimes think it's better not to say, how you feel about food because there's a lot of strong feelings especially curry versed that I'm not sure I can fully appreciate I've always mm-hmm. feel like I'm missing something it's good don't get me wrong but curry versed does seem to exist on some higher food plane and I've never been entirely sure why and it, I, I guess it must be similar to how other people feel when they hear me talking about sausage rolls or pork pies and that it's nothing special but then it's totally <laughs> is at the same time one of the things i was thinking was at work in the canteen when when it's curryverse day the canteen's fuller than it's ever been and i'm like but it's just curryverse like mm-hmm. last week they had some amazing food like why curryverse but curryverse seems to have this effect on germans and and a lot of non-germans too did you know it's been on coins i didn't know that no like <laughs> the, the put curryverse on a coin like a commemorative coin it's that popular and also uh, one of my favorite facts about the curryverse is that berlin politicians almost always have to have themselves photographed with a curryverse mm-hmm. eating a curryverse very much like how british politicians always in an election have to be photographed with a pint yeah and a Cornish pasty, as a, that's how you make yourself a man of the people, or a, or a woman of the people. Exactly. I, I don't think it's anything particularly special, but a lot of people but isn't do. isn't that the whole I, point? Well, that's it, I don't know. It is, it's just something that's not special, but it's so perfectly good. 
it's not an appealing looking thing the taste isn't necessarily anything to to write home about like you can get better food everywhere but there's something that's so supremely comforting about sort of the pop and snap of the sausage the the mildness yet complexity of the curry sauce the perfect fatty chips like mayo oh yeah i, I just had dinner and i'm, I'm starving all over i think again. if you're offered as a dry and vegler or a curry vest i'd still choose the dry and vegler i just don't feel like curry vest is any anything to write home about but people really love it people really feel this i appreciate that you love it and it's great it's just not really for me you know but it's <laughs> an interesting story behind it but that is there's definitely a valid point that the regular listeners will already know that the two of us are indeed based down in bavaria and so we're surrounded by a very different but very bountiful options mm. and one of them is the the Dreien Wegler, uh, which is yeah an, an icon here in Nuremberg and all over Bavaria really it's a very mm-hmm. very good portable sandwich I mean yeah a currywurst you need space <laughs> whereas a Dreien Wegler, you can be moving you could be jumping over a, a beer bench still have a hand free it is good for that and of course we have things like Orbadsta pretzels or bretzel so it's all kind of that slightly more stereotypical German snackage uh, that Americans will be thinking of. And I think that the currywurst is, it has that sort of working class charm. As, I mean, we're down for all that, but it doesn't, none of those hit me with the same levels of like spice and fat uh, that I think a good currywurst can deliver, especially with the pomace. I'm sure that a lot of my love for the currywurst, as you rightly say, comes from the fact that I spent a large part of my of my youth in northern Germany and the dish there is far more standard far more ubiquitous I think I'm going to step in here and get Simon focused before he meanders on about his love of currywurst launch day for this episode <laughs> falls on the day that the currywurst was born September the 4th the creator of this German icon is a woman by the name of Hertha Charlotte Hoever who was born June 30th 1913 in Königsberg Hertha ran a snack company in West Berlin from 1949 and it was in this imbus where she invented the currywurst the original currywurst was a boiled sausage fried with a sauce of tomato paste Worcestershire sauce curry powder and other ingredients apparently procured from British soldiers which explains the curry part I imagine Hoiver eventually moved her business to a larger facility on Kaiser Friedrichstrasse which during its heyday was open day and night and employed 19 salespeople on 29th of June 2003 the day before what would have been her 90th birthday a plaque was dedicated in her honour at this address. There are other claims to the creation of the Currywurst, notably in Hamburg. A 1993 novel, The Entdeckung der Currywurst, had this as a central theme. Though we at Decades From Home are happy to side with Herter's story, food historians such as Petra Furda believe that, as with the culinary creation myth, several rather than a single person were involved in developing the dish. Butcher Max Bruckner is credited with creating the sausage without a skin, which is often considered the original sausage used, called Spandauer ohne Pelle. Bruckner's business partner Frank Friedrich helped Herta Hoever develop the sauce. At least that's the official line from Bruckner and Friedrich's company Maximilian that still produces currywurst today. The confusion over who to give the credit to is because the sausage sellers were experimenting with various spice mixes in order to replace the tomato ketchup that was unavailable during the immediate post-war years. Nevertheless, Herta Hoever is still the central figure in the creation of the curry waste. I mean, what I'm saying so far is that without the British, this wouldn't be a thing. <laughs> you are yeah, welcome. Yeah. It's one of the few <laughs> things in British history where the the phrase "if it wasn't for the British" is actually a positive thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. I mean, those of you who are up to date with the German news cycle will know that Currywurst was also recently in the headlines because Gerhard Schröder, the former Chancellor of Germany, decided that instead of tackling the swathe of pressing issues in the news, 
that his position be best used to lampass Volkswagen for having the gall, the absolute bloody gall, to remove the iconic sausage dish off their canteen menu for their workers. If that's not worth the attention of the former Chancellor, I don't know what is. It's interesting, I've read a story today that all the universities in Berlin, or at least the major universities in Berlin, are all going to do the same thing too. They're only going to mm-hmm. offer meat on one day a week. And I was like, cool, I guess. It's kind of surprising that a factory would do that. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that factories in Germany had like beer available to staff as well. So, I mean, yeah, times move on. It's probably for the best for everyone involved. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe the, the, the rate of heart disease might be reduced slightly. According to an internal announcement from Volkswagen, the company canteen should be meat-free. The 150 or so recipes should then go without meat. Only now and then will fish be part of the offer for workers. The realignment also serves the topic of sustainability because less meat consumption per week also helps the environment. It's also worth noting that this follows the already successful implementation of the concept at the Hanover location. I mean, this was the sort of the, the annoying thing when Schroeder came out. It's like, oh, wow, yeah, VW done something crazy. And so mm. they've already implemented this at one of their locations. It's just Mm -hmm. because it's headquarters. What may not be quite as well known is that even though VW will not be serving their staff meat in the canteens, the company produces meat products. That's right. If you didn't already know, Volkswagen does more than cars. They also do meat. In a corner of Wolfsburg, a dedicated team of 30 VW sausage makers take pork in from the surrounding farmland and turn it into Volkswagen part number 199-398-500A. Yeah. The sausage has a factory part number, which makes it <laughs> unique uh, in the world of sausages. No other sausage is made by a car company with a part number. So you can order a replacement wing mirror for your Golf Mark III and also a Currywurst, which is just special. In fact, this crack team of sausage specialists at VW managed to produce 7 million VW Currywurst for consumption in 2019. It seems like they're cutting their nose off to spite their face, isn't it? How many of those 7 million Currywursts were consumed by their, their workers? I think it's the vast majority. They sell in some places in and around Wolfsburg, apparently, according to my research today. But it, we can't go into our supermarkets here in Bayern and pick up a VW Currywurst, I don't think. But you can order them online, so if, you, if anyone is interested, uh, you can order a Currywurst. I'm kind of surprised because you would think that that would be like a great great bit of, of promotional business. You I know? think like... there has been some evidence that producing meat has a larger footprint than producing cars, which kind of makes it problematic if you're trying to greenwash your automobile company. Like, we don't just do cars, we also do this <laughs> with a massive carbon footprint. I mean, it's interesting that Schroeder would be the one that would bring up like this topic. Like, if I'm right, wasn't Schroeder like Schroeder was shrouded? <laughs> That's what the line I was going to use. Schroeder was mm-hmm. shrouded in uh, in accusations of corruption, and well, he was named in the Paradise Papers for a start, which is never a, a good sign. A, a politician yeah. has been accused of doing something bad. No, it's totally wild, isn't it? I wouldn't. I, I would no, hate to no. say that, but I think you need to. Yeah, you need to check your sources, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he he was on the board as well, on the supervisory board uh, of VW as well. So that speaks to his connection to this I guess I just kind of have the feeling that like you said you'd think that there was more pressing concerns for someone who was on Mm. the uh, the the board of Volkswagen than them getting rid of sausages you know it's not like Volkswagen hasn't been mired in scandals recently maybe less worrying about the currywurst more on you know emissions (laughs) that's just me I mean that's just my perspective I'd hate to 
I mean, we're we're not former chancellors with, <laughs> <laughs> with the ears of, of obligation behind us. Well, let, let's not let's not uh, lambast him too hard. He's he's <laughs> he's paying attention to the big stories. I think we've got to give him credit for that. He, he was he was quoted as saying, "If I was still on the supervisory board of VW, there would have been no such thing." This was part of a lengthy social media post defending the Currywurst. Uh, while conceding, he did concede that a vegetarian diet can be good and that he himself follows one occasionally. Former Social Democrat Chancellor responded to the Currywurst ban with displeasure, saying, Currywurst with fries is one of the power bars of the skilled production worker. And uh, yes, he said it should stay that way. So, I mean, obviously, he's thought about this long and hard. I've got to hope that the phrase power bars is just some wacky translation, because if not, that's the that's the most politician-y politician phrase. <laughs> it's just like, oh, why don't you just say something better? <laughs> say something better than power bars. Though your workers aren't mobile phones, you know? <laughs> I, I think he sh- he's clearly spent his retirement from, from power. He's yeah, playing a he's lot not. of uh, Xbox, and he's, he's now integrating this gaming language. He's still got his finger on the pulse of modern technology. <laughs> Catch me on Twitter for more <laughs> Gerhard Schroeder on Twitch I would I would watch that I want to see what he's playing what, what video games does Gerhard Schroeder play oh he's definitely farming simulator train simulator those are huge in Germany and it's because of people like the good Herr Schroeder he's really good at delivering goods via a large 18 wheel truck oh yeah loves loves ice road truckers has that playing next to it and he imagines himself in a big rig cowboy boots Eating a curry oh, worst. If I ever meet Gerhard Schroeder, I'll be like, what video games do you play? That's the only question I'm going to ask. It'd be mad if he was like doing a Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my mates are really good at Counter-Strike. <laughs> hey dear. Clearly it's more than a dish. It's powerful enough to unite one of the largest companies on earth and a former chancellor. The only things I can imagine in English cuisine that come close to waving that kind of might might be the bacon sandwich or the classic Sunday roast. Would banning a bacon sandwich in the canteens of Unilever or GlaxoSmithKline be enough to rouse John Major to start taking interviews? I hope not. <laughs> as soon as John Major starts talking, honestly, it doesn't matter if he's the most sensible thing he's got to say. I just My brain just turns off, starts going like... Doo, 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 doo. Do you think it's just reverting to the state of when John Major was in power yeah, and everyone ignored him anyway Catro <laughs> exactly. is a very interesting character uh, John Major not so much <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. I mean in fairness if you're more interesting than John Major then that's about like the baseline normal isn't it it's just the same baseline as like not wanting to get food poisoning from your takeaway yeah. exactly exactly yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Moving on from Carmaker Sausages, we thought we'd have a little look at some up-and-coming music from back home. Well, very back home for one of us. In a brutally honest interview with The Guardian, ahead of the stunning second album, Sam Fender, the Tyneside chart topper, discussed politics, family, fame and mental health. Now, Nick, as our resident Tyneside talent, maybe you can shed some light on Sam Fender for us. I don't know how much I can shed light. I mean, he's local lad, quite young, uh, released an album a couple of years ago, Hypersonic Missiles. Went down quite well. Did a bit of touring. He was born in North Shields, which is a... It's like a very, very Geordie part of Newcastle. There's bits that just are less Geordie. Like, for instance, Alan Shearer was born in Gosforth. And Gosforth is considered mm-hmm. slightly less Geordie. I mean, he's still very young, but when you listen to his lyrics, he's, he talks a lot about his experiences and growing up. And I can't say I recognise all of them myself because I spent a lot of my teenage years in Scotland. But a lot of it just rings very true 
for the experiences mm-hmm. of a lot of my friends and their time in Newcastle. It's cliche to say it's a very working class city, but I mean, it is. And I think a lot of the pastimes are very working class and the, the things he talks about, especially when it comes to his his personal experience and his friend's experience are very, just very common themes that you hear a lot of people talk about, whether it's mm. violence or whether it's relationships or whether it's going out on the lash or whatever. And I'm wary of saying he's stereotypical, but if you listen to his lyrics, you get a good sense of what it's like to be from the northeast and to grow up in the northeast. I didn't know a huge amount about him, but the, this this new album is, mm-hmm. is garnering a huge amount of praise. In the interviews, way back in 2011, uh, he described himself as a little stoner uh, who had flunked out of his A-levels uh, in his hometown and was living with his mother in a flat with mm-hmm. black mould on the walls. Uh, a decade later, he's one of the UK's best and most successful singer-songwriters, and the, the 2019 debut, the mm-hmm. Nick mentioned Hypersonic Missiles, went to number one. And he won a Brit Award, lauded for writing songs about the disaffections of, mm-hmm. of modern 21st century Britain, which, yeah, there's some good source material there. This sort of set him aside from the cheerier peers. I mean, because when we think of British singer-songwriters, especially really successful ones, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you have Ed Sheeran uh, and George Ezra, both of whom are, I mean, yeah, they far more positive-sounding and positive-feeling than what Sam Fender's putting out. This new album coming out, 17 Going Under, uh, is being described as yeah, a superb record that channels the sound of Springsteen uh, and the war on drugs into an examination of his family, youth, frailty. I've been listening to it a lot over the last couple of weeks. It is very springsteen I was saying to you, we were listening to it a bit of it on Saturday, and I said, mm. uh, I said, as soon as the saxophones come in, you know, you know who his influences yeah. are. I think it's, I think it's well worth a listen. But it's not. Obviously, this is more than just a plug for a fellow Geordie. I think one of the uh, <laughs> the nicest bits of feedback we've got on our decades from home is from listeners is that it can feel like you were sat in a pub with us whilst we chat about the issues at hand. And pub life is the origin of our personal relationship and has served as the bedrock for countless meaningful and meaningless <laughs> conversations. Some of which have been rammed into this here <laughs> podcast. It seems that Sam Fender has a similar affection for the pub scene. When asked about the inspiration for some of his music, he replied, "A lot of my lyrics used to come." from pub crack that is the word crack as in the irish usage which is to say a good laugh Mm -hmm. and good times someone at the end of the bar complaining about their other half i would finish the story always a good (laughs) fun pub game best played in a pub full of desperate reprobates with the most (laughs) colorful lives he also said to bring back the northeast for a second that there's plenty of loudmouth geordie drug dealers the most unsubtle drug dealers on the planet and i'd get plenty of bits from that (laughs) and i can honestly say that's very true is that true because i I didn't yeah it's super true (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things that shocked me when I returned to Newcastle in 2007 was how you would just go into a pub with people and you'd be playing snooker uh, or, or pool or something and someone would just come up and offer you like pretty much anything. It was like the opens the coat and he's got like a, a myriad of options. I know, I know plenty of times where you'd see drug dealers sitting at the end of the bar just doing their business you know people would come in there was no like going to the toilets and handing stuff over people handing over wads of cash and being handed like cigarette boxes with clearly full of whatever it is they're buying <laughs> there's never there's never any subtlety to it at all good to know for anyone considering a trip to newcastle you're not, <laughs> you're not gonna have to work hard well down yeah. the northeast i guess <laughs> no, i don't know if it's something to celebrate no. it's, a, it's a truth i mean i remember 2007 crash happening 
and speaking to a lad who'd worked in a McDonald's as a manager and he'd been laid off, uh, which is, that's a sign of things have gone to shit when, when McDonald's starts laying off staff because after all, McDonald's is like, it's the most profitable thing going. It's You can always make money with McDonald's, you know. He got laid off and the first thing he did was with the money he had left, he, was, he bought a load of Coke and started selling it because it, it was easier to do that than it was to go on the dole at the time because in Britain... Again, we've something we've talked about. Universal credit is a real, real broken system. It doesn't work. We a lot of complaints in Germany about hard fear, but uh, similar things across across the uh, the water in Britain. Mm. Fender's mother was a nurse who birthed practically half the babies in North Shields. She suffered from fibromyalgia, which affected her mental health and her ability to work. And this led to a sense of helplessness for Sam. In many ways, a story that resonates with many young people in modern Britain. You haven't got a job. You're only 17. Life is hard, much harder than it should be. The title track, 17 Going Under, came from that. Fender's father could, quote, drink beer and talk about music till the cows come home. When it comes to expressing a grievance, it always ended up in a shouting match. Sam recalls one of the earliest memories being his father accidentally jamming Sam's finger in the door. His father was so angry at himself but was unable to express it, so he just kicked the wall under the staircase. Fender says they laugh about it now and the things have really turned a corner. Nevertheless, it shows the effects of like what toxic masculinity on a large swathe of the generation of British men Sam's father was in. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the topic I think we were, we've were we been looking to, to reach is... is the fact that Sam Fender deals with mm. brazen honesty, the issues of mental health, certainly men's mental health. Sam was, quote, full of self-loathing with massive, massive imposter mm. syndrome. He then admits that he, uh, quote, started hating himself even more because I was like, why am I so miserable when I've got this amazing stuff happening? That's something that really resonated with me. It's something that I've thought about a lot since I read it, but it's something I've been thinking about as well. I can't really speak for how German kids and German men especially are brought up, but it's like British boys and men, I'm still like locked in this idea of, I can't complain, shouldn't complain. It's not that bad. Your mental health might be bad, but it's not. It's not like you've got mm-hmm. a reason. So, like, why would you complain about? Oh, like all this good stuff is happening to you. All this stuff you want is happening, but actually, it's uh, you still don't feel right. But when people ask you if you're okay, you sort of instinctively go, "Oh yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm not not to complain about because ultimately, why should you? Because it's like you don't mm-hmm. have a right to complain unless you've had something really yeah. tragic happen to you. Yeah. What do you think? How do you feel about that? most British people today were still touched by the stiff upper lip mentality the sort of I mean blitz spirit often gets brought up when basically you're supposed to just shut up and take it uh, and not complain and complaining isn't a very highly valued trait in, in Britain like we were all sort of told we should complain about like a meal not being cooked properly uh, or customer service not being what we'd hoped for in a restaurant or a bar we're really good at complaining but when it comes to just the unfairness uh, of life at times or the cruelty that people face, whether it be loss or bereavement or illness, we are trained and have been trained for generations now to to not complain, don't cry and all that kind of stuff. And obviously there's been a big shift uh, for young people talking about these issues and it's a really, really positive thing. But there are still definitely divides between ages and generations where how honest can you be? How honest should you be? And there's a lot of people that know if if they Mm -hmm. were really Mm -hmm. honest with even some of their closest friends, it would be too much. 
Yeah, and they wouldn't know how to react or how to deal with it. Exactly, it was like it's just too. It's like too too honest, you know. Yeah. So so you wrap everything up. You moderate all your emotions because it's better than feeling a bit uncomfortable because you you let the mask slip a little bit or talked a bit too frankly about how you felt mm-hmm. about something. And it can be really hard because the only way to really do well in those scenarios is to experience something that's sort of relatable. Mm. And if you have someone that tells you a really horrifying part of their past, something that's scarring and and traumatic, Mm. just saying like anything can feel kind of inauthentic at times, but it's not like I'm here for you. Like that doesn't really feel like enough at times. I think everyone's sort of aware that dumping your past or whatever it is you're dealing with on someone else can can feel selfish as well and that's another trait Mm -hmm. that british people and british men are told not to be um you're not supposed to burden others with how you feel and yeah i mean it's it's hampered a lot of a lot of male to male relationships i think intergenerational ones like all of us when we look back at the ways that we communicated with our grandfathers Mm -hmm there were a huge amount of missed opportunities like as a generation of learning from one another uh, and growing with one another mm. it was kind of distant and I, I really hope that our generation and the generations around us are going to have very very different relationships and you see this already you know you'll see this with with your daughter and the way that her grandparents are with her I, i'm i'm mm-hmm. sure it's a bit more hands-on a bit more dynamic than it mm-hmm. would have been in in our grandparents oh yeah for sure for yeah. sure i mean it's interesting talking about the past because and it's something that sam fender talks about he talks about being a victim of bullying and in mm. school and he talks about the struggle to deal with bullying especially in the view of a father who was like encouraging him to take up boxing as a means to defend himself and it led sam essentially to like many other young uk men to overcompensate and adopt mm. like what would term toxic masculinity traits as a method of self-preservation and, and, and essentially social management. And there's a quote that I thought was quite interesting where he said, it got to a point where I was in my 20s, I just snapped and I did start trying to fight people. I knocked, I knocked one of my best mates out. I'd find myself ripping cupboard doors off the wall because of things that happened five years before. And I think that resonated because it's something, I've said it before, like I don't, the bullying thing definitely, because I was bullied at school. It's not something I particularly want to talk about. It's not something I particularly want to delve too, too much into because I feel like, I feel like I dealt with it, but mm-hmm. I guess I probably never really, you never really properly deal with it, not unless you go to see or seek some kind of professional support. But it's something that that still impacts us. I hate bullies. I hate mm. bullies. Like, well, I was saying to you the other day, there was an incident where someone shouted something at us as they drove past in a car, and I was in two minds about whether to go back, and obviously I, I didn't in the end because it was just it was the thing he was saying was just it was just a bully a bullying sort of mentality bullying sort of thing to say but i felt like i felt like a loser you know like you you sort of taught you meant to comp like you meant to fight the bully you know that's the image you were like we were brought up with that all the way through our lives like mm-hmm. fight the bully and i got beaten up like quite severely a number of times and i never fought back because i thought i just i didn't really know how to but also it just didn't I don't have that. I don't have that part of my brain really. That's mm-hmm. like uh, my first instinct is to punch something, but then I just get like 
really angry at something, like I've displaced all my emotions onto something else. I think, I guess I still sort of do that to a certain extent. But there's a lot of stuff that I think, oh, it's better not to talk about this. It's better just, even now, like talking about it, I feel incredibly uncomfortable. But like, I also feel like I'm probably not the only one who, who has some kind of trauma or some kind of experience in the past that really, really impacts them on a daily basis. But prefer just to not think about it, you know? Yeah. Prefer not to talk about it because it's, it's big and it's like, scary. Yeah, very sympathetic to that. And yeah, trauma is the right word for it. And definitely appreciate you being open with the uh, the podcast about it. Because yeah, it's, it's not easy. I think that's something that it's, it's all too easy to forget that everyone's carrying something with them that is a burden. And a lot of it could be from 20, 30 years ago. And trauma needs to be needs to be managed in one way or another and being open and having discussions about it and knowing that there are safe spaces and safe relationships is is such a, a positive change we're seeing that with the fact that a number one brit artist like brit mm. award-winning artist is making that one of the center pieces of his of his new album mm. shows how far this has come i was thinking as well because i knew we talked about this last week about wanting to talk about this topic and how I felt about talking about it. And I think it's important that it's important to have other men in your life who you can talk quite frankly with your emotions about, but it's not as easy. It's easy saying that, finding that's quite difficult. And mm-hmm. I think it's something that I've thought about as well, like the the mental health impacts of living in a foreign country. Yeah. That, that, that there's an element of isolation. It's something I've experienced quite recently, feeling like I'm the only one thinking about these things in my head i'm the only one who can who i can't express them because i can never express them in a way that seems like other people might understand or that even family members would fully understand necessarily and that feeling of especially like not seeing your family and it's something i said to you we all got together on 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 saturday and we saw everyone and i was like I'd had a few drinks by that point, which is another very British trait of like, oh, we can talk freely because I've had six pints, you know. <laughs> like, it's it's the booze talking, not me. And I said, I said like, it's I can't I can't see my biological family, so I have to see the family that I've made in Germany. Like, mm-hmm. it's really like that's that was really vital to me, and I had that in my head all the way th- through this uh, last week. It was like, oh, I'm gonna see, gonna see the guys and. I'm gonna see my mates, you know, and it's 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 different. Of course, it's different than seeing seeing my, my brothers or, or or something, but it's only a, a little bit different. Like the feeling I have for for my found family in Germany is very <laughs> very strongly connected to how I feel about my actual family, you know, my biological family. As I've said, it took a while to get to that point where you mm-hmm. had friends who you could really you could really express yourself with, or would you felt would listen to you. And I think it's something that a lot of people who move to a different country or at least move to Germany find really difficult is to to meet people, to build up a good network, to have people who support you. Because otherwise you're just sort of left in this weird isolation where you don't really have anyone to, any, anyone looking out for you or checking in on you or asking mm. how things are. And it's a real challenge. Like it's a double challenge, especially if you've maybe lived through some rather traumatic things in your past and then you, you take on the challenge of living in a different country and you face other mental health challenges. L- the language can be part of it. The the isolation can be part of it. 
the desire not to i don't heard a lot of people say this desire not to spend time with what they, what people term as expats i don't really like using that word but mm. it's one that people use they talk about oh, i don't want to hang around with expats as if that's a wholly negative concept and i'm like well i don't think you're cheating yourself if you spend time with people who you can communicate with because if you can't communicate in german what else do you do just sit silently and and do nothing I, I could i couldn't do that personally and that's why i sought out a larger group of friends that are a lot of them are english speakers mm. but i think that that marries nicely with my german life and my my friends as well you know it's because you sometimes you just have to let off some steam and talk about things where people you don't have to explain every reference you don't have to explain yeah. every every point you, people just get it and understand it and you're not someone not going oh that's an interesting word you used I'm like no nah. <laughs> Like sometimes yeah. you don't want that and it's okay to not want that it's okay to to want the comforts of of your of your own culture you know yeah, i mean the, the commonality is is really important as you rightly say the longer that you're an immigrant in a country like the harder it is to to feel connected to home and to family and friends who are based there because although they know the ins and the outs of your life and they visited and they know like where you live and how the town you live looks and feels and smells and all that kind of stuff once you've been away for 10 years plus like like we both have the yeah the distance is different but mm-hmm. it's it's harder to manage and yeah it isn't necessarily as easy to pick up the phone and be like this happened today i was dealing with an ant and they asked for this and this was and the people are just mm-hmm. like okay yeah I, I don't really understand the mm-hmm. reality of this story but yeah if you go to the pub and it's full of people from similar backgrounds with similar experiences of being an immigrant then those stories land a little better and there's a lot more empathy and understanding but you find yourself in those situations where you seek advice from people you know in germany and then you seek advice from people who live in britain and neither of them are quite as satisfying they don't quite meet the need you know i think sometimes that my german friends can be very supportive but they don't always know exactly what it is that i'm something as simple as we were looking for someone to fix the chimney and i was just i couldn't i could and i was like i can't believe and it seems so it's so minor but it was one of these things where it's like why is there only one person in the whole of this area it was like one person (laughs) who manages that and that's it and i was expressing that to my german family and they were like yeah that's that's how it is he deserves a holiday and i was like that's not the point you know it's not what i'm not saying he doesn't deserve a holiday. i'm just saying he's not nuts that there's only one person who does it but then I'd, I'd i'd say that to my british family and they'd be like what you still have chimney sweeps and you're like oh like, that's not quite the point either you know and it's everyone's i don't think anyone's trying to rile anybody but you get this you know what i mean it's like you can't really express what it is you're experiencing mm. and you feel a bit a bit dense for doing it well i mean but it was just one of those frustrating things where you you just feel like you're speaking you're not only speaking a different language, but you really are speaking a completely different mental <laughs> mental thought thought process that other people can't can't perceive. And then you just feel like, oh well, it must be me. I must be the the one who's in the wrong. What do you do with that when you just feel like, oh, it's just me, and then everyone else? And it can be quite it can be quite extreme that 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 feeling. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Just saying that has made me remember like going to a, a swimming pool when I was young here a cafe in the swimming pool and you go and like have a schnitzel with pommes like in your swimming trunks like wet that doesn't happen in the uk that's what i immediately thought about with the, the steeple jack monopoly like why would i eat something with chips in my in my soggy <laughs> swimming trunks it's bizarre like other people would just be like oh that's quite weird or that's quite exotic 
but sometimes those weird and exotic things can be some of the most frustrating things and then you just want to express the frustration you just want to like go this is this is really fucking stupid and for people to go oh yeah it is that's all you're looking for someone to go oh yeah it is and then what you get is like a completely different reply <laughs> becomes another thing because then you're like all oh, right well maybe i should just suck it up and then you're just doing the same thing again it's like, oh suck it up don't express your emotions don't say anything because people mm-hmm. just won't get it and and you best just like keep and it bleeds into other areas because then you're just like well is this thing i feel about myself or is this thing that i think about myself totally crazy and if i say it um people are just gonna think um i'm just complaining for needlessly or uh, or that i'm just saying something stupid or, or we're still the misinterpret it and, and give me a reply that just pisses us off you know and that can be the reality like it can be it can be one of those things where it just cycles through those those <laughs> processes so you just end up just going uh-huh and that's like the totally like male response like a non-committal like grunt <laughs> and i don't know i just feel like you you you, you can just be that yeah. can be you that can be you forever is you just like uh-huh mm-hmm no strong emotions don't feel anything and then like what the hell are you You're just just some kind of fucking robot or something i mean that uh-huh yeah yeah that was like 99 yeah. percent of the conversations i had with one of my granddads was that there was never anything more than just acknowledgement um and yeah not not uh, acknowledgement and being like markedly uncomfortable with the prospect of having been like asked a question like shy being shy about being like the center of attention for a split second all those kinds of characteristics i'm very pleased that are shifting away well my granddad the 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 moment he was incredibly honest was i mean a few weeks before he died and he was incredibly honest with us and i just didn't know how to deal with it because i was used to this guy just he was just the capable bloke and he he, mm. he had all the answers you know and if he didn't he was amicable about it but when he suddenly told me how he actually felt about things i didn't i didn't know what to do with that information and and it's something that you 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 sort of like i don't want to be like that i don't mm. want i want to be able to if somebody expresses their emotions i don't want my reaction to be subpar or to be somehow more negative than it needs to be but i think i think again it's something that we've been brought up with you know we're not really taught mm. to be emotionally aware we're not really taught about emotional sensitivity because it's like just just have a drink or i just go just go just get some exercise or you just need to get just get out on the playing fields or something you know that was always mm-hmm. the solution to school is oh, don't worry about it uh, it's not just 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 get on with what you're getting on with you know and and that, and that sort of approach just seems inherently broken don't be soft i mean exercise is at least better than the the horrible phrase man up uh which was definitely banded around yeah, a lot exactly your, it yeah. makes it makes it sound like all your problems aren't that yeah. that important and sometimes sometimes they might be stupid mm. but they're still like how you feel and you should you should be able to express them without without a vast amount of judgment from the people you care about essentially so yeah the last 18 months have been hugely challenging and it, and it would not be normal if everything was totally fine in such extreme circumstances sure there are glimmers of light to show what might be at the end of the tunnel but if you're struggling remember that you are not alone there are multiple sources of support available 24 hours a day seven days a week for english speakers the samaritans are available on the phone or email at joe at samaritans.org you can write them by post or even through their app for german speakers telephone seelsorger available on 0800 by phone or online support exists and we would encourage anyone who even has the glimmer of a feeling of needing it to reach out you are loved you are worthy people out there want to help you 
Sam Fender's album 17 Going Under is released next month on the 8th of October. In the final section of the show this week, we want to look at the notion of class with a bit more detail. Sam Fender talked about lefty being a slur now in working class cities in the UK. And for us, that's an indicative sign of the issues faced with class in the UK. Everything in the UK culture is about class. Or if it's not directly class driven, someone somewhere will eventually make it about class. This can be difficult to comprehend for Germans who operate in a world not about class but about power, but more in the sense that power and who has more of it is a key consideration for how to manage a situation in the same way as we Brits would consider class. As an example, if I'm writing emails to a colleague at work, it is the privilege of the superior, whether it be in age, experience, rank, etc., whatever, to decide when we shift from the formal to the informal. As the inferior, the one lacking the power, I am powerless to bring about changes in the style of conversation. We could work together for 20 years, but it's there, the superior's choice, the power haver, who gets to decide the point at which becomes friendlier. There are times here where you have to stop and ask yourself, who has more power here? And if that's you, then congrats. You have the potential to make the other person feel more like an equal. Or, if it's your thing, make them live in an eternal state of vague subservience, perpetually having to start their emails with a sehr geehrter Herr X or Frau X. My wife often accuses me of defining every possible social problem as an issue of class, whether we're talking about Germany, the UK, or anywhere else for that matter. She'll often mock me when we talk about current events by declaring, is this a class problem in a faux Geordie accent? She does have a point. I tend to frame everything through the British class structure, although I think the whiny tone with which she impersonates me is unnecessary. Understanding the world through the prism of class isn't wholly my own fault. Class consciousness is as hereditary as the many titles bestowed on the British aristocracy. I enjoy the fact that whilst we talk about this, we demonstrate our class by the way we say class. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the things we talked about last week was like the grammar and language you use is definitely used in britain as a way of berating different class i I love i do enjoy seeing the disappointment on my mum's face when i say path and bath (laughs) (laughs) it hurts us so much path and bath (laughs) yeah yeah exactly that's what it should be apparently (laughs) it's incredibly hard not to use class as a framework to understand society especially british society it seems to permeate everything in subtle and frequently unsubtle ways and it's often the way the media categorises and frames social topics. Things like the shrinking middle class, fears about the white working class, or whether the British government is too posh, have all been the focus of media attention over the years. Social class is an important factor in the UK. After all, the only qualification to become the head of the British state is to literally be born into the right incredibly wealthy family. Ooh, I wonder who we're talking about, eh? <laughs> huh? What? what? Huh? huh? Who? <laughs> Germans aren't inherently class-obsessed, but Germans will still resort to class-based language. At work, people will divide employees into white-collar and blue-collar workers, which can seem antiquated terminology to native English speakers. The status and desirability of certain class identities is slightly different, though, and is region-dependent. I mean, this is what I think of with, with status especially, because, yeah, ostentatiousness isn't everywhere in Germany, but if you go to Dusseldorf, uh, if you go to Munich you do see a different way of of being rich 
compared to a lot of other cities. I mean, there are pockets if you want to be a modern-day aristocrat. Dusseldorf or Munich will let you live <laughs> that dream with wanton abandon yeah, yeah, and exactly. massive rent. So quite, go do quite. that if that's your thing. <laughs> In the UK, the term working class can bestow a level of credibility, whereas being middle class can be a sign of mediocrity. It's something I feel I know pretty well. <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> In Germany, being middle class is considered the standard because Germany has a larger than average middle class. It's essentially the norm, so much so that politicians will actively promote their middle class status. British politicians aren't alone using their class to craft a personal persona that is appealing to the electorate. When the CDU politician Friedrich Merz was campaigning to lead his party, he invited nationwide ridicule when he claimed to be middle class during a TV debate despite being a multi-millionaire. Most Germans, about 60%, when asked, will describe themselves as middle class. Even with such a large middle class, income inequality continues to rise. Much like the UK, the working poor, those in work but still living below the poverty line, are a growing minority. Germany has a lot in common with the UK when it comes to who makes up the top tiers of German society. Studies of the Anglo-Norman Doomsday Book of 1086 show that the rate of social mobility in Britain has remained stable for centuries by tracking the names that appear in the vast accounting tongue and cross-referencing them with the names of attendees of Oxford and Cambridge or with holders of high political office. They've shown that things have remained remarkably similar. Comparable studies of German millionaires have shown that only 8% work their way to their wealth. Most simply inherit their money on the death of a parent or rich relative. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, it's 8%. Totally. Are they all the Hoerlund de Leuven winners? Potentially. Potentially. I think but you forget there's a lot of the super wealthy in Germany are kind of hidden. Like You see the super wealthy in, in, in Britain. We, we know about them we know about the the russian oligarchs or we know that bought houses in london uh, yeah sloan square kensington yeah, the, chelsea yeah the, the display of wealth is still seen as quite a positive thing for a lot of people i show how rich they are aspirational yeah, I, I don't know whether it is but i guess that's a discussion for another day perhaps but like the super wealthy the the fuggers in 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 augsburg related to one of the wealthiest families that ever existed medieval bankers to mm. the to the holy roman empire and to the catholic church like they exist but you're not hearing about them in the news turn and taxes around regensburg incredibly wealthy don't hear a lot about them either they're not out there um making a big show of their wealth but they're around that's how you stay wealthy, isn't it? Well, I, I guess so. I guess so. You just don't tell anybody about it. The, one of the interesting things is that one of the wealthiest families in Britain is also happens to be the pool with which we choose our head of state. They're not ostentatious, but they do live in palaces. You know, like you see them, they're a part of the infrastructure, you know. There are numerous old money families, many who are descendants of medieval banking empires or landed gentry. However, unlike the old money families of Britain, Germany's aristocracy generally prefer to remain out of the headlines and away from positions of influence in government. These super-rich German citizens keep an incredibly low profile, actively remaining out of the public eye, often claiming that the negative perception of the rich in Germany is a major factor in remaining in very, very splendid eyes. Isolation. Super rich of Germany may find ways to segregate themselves from society, but unlike in the UK, education isn't necessarily one of them. The best education schools in the UK are reserved for those willing to spend large sums of money on school fees. Private education exists in Germany, but the majority either have a comprehensive school system or a grammar school plus technical school system. Higher income families do see more academic success, but there are arguably far more opportunities for a child from a lower income family to succeed than there are in the UK. Yet, 
time and time again, studies show the best educational outcomes are weighted towards children of higher income parents. Of course, yeah, it's not just higher income parents. It's like, is, is your, are your parents uh, together? Are they divorced? Is it a single parent mm. family? Do they work shift patterns? Those kinds of things have it. But it says everything that I think it was the OECD did a study or was it the UN did a study on the German education system and, and highlighted how, in fact, it's incredibly unfair on lower income students and how you're basically handicapping a, a, a whole generation of kids and yet that system is still probably fairer than the system you have in in britain it says it says there's a bit of a problem i think hmm. germans may feel they have little use for a class structure yet one still exists it may be less pronounced than in britain but it can be equally complex and it still suffers many of the same issues Opportunities, at least in education, seem more available, and it is a credit to Germany that success can be achieved regardless of income, but wealth is still an important indicator of success. Yet, if I look at both my native culture and my adoptive culture, I get the feeling that Germany is closer to a fairer society. Only by a little bit, by the way. I may be looking too hard through the rose-tinted spectacles most British migrants in Germany carry as standard, but it's hard not to. After all, when the requirement for the highest job in Britain is the right social class, it's hard not to appreciate the German system. Hello to Zaman. That brings us to the end of the show. Thanks for listening. A couple of thank yous to make. Thanks to Al and Maurizio for their retweets and thanks to everyone else for sharing the pod and getting our dulcet tones into the ears of more and more listeners. If you'd like to support the show and gain yourself a shout out on the podcast, Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag decadesfromhome, all lowercase, on Twitter or Instagram. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Simon on at decadesfromhome, and you can tweet me at 40%german. You can also get us on 40%german at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%german.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss! Hi. South Shields. I North Shields. North Shields. Is there a South Shields? Yes, there is indeed. It's across the river. So um, he's. <laughs> that would make no sense. He's, he was. Edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's go. That's go. That's the bit that goes in at the end. Um, <laughs>